And we're up. up a double Did you uh, go on a Zoom call last night? Um, I did not. Did you? Did you? No. I feel bad a little, you know. I was, but I'm like, I'm trying to jam it in, and I sat down, and I was pretty much out cold. I thought, I'll come in later. Come in a little bit. I just need a minute. <laughs> I, I'm just exhausted from the weekend, you know. I'm still, I'm still trying to hydrate from the weekend. <laughs> we should make it a Tuesday, not a Monday. And... And hanging out with those guys in that Zoom call is not good for hydration. No, no. At least not long-term. I mean, you're you're consuming beverages, but they're the wrong kind of beverages no, for they're... trying to rehydrate after a weekend in the Texas 107-degree heat. Yeah, that's the opposite of hydrating. So we're going to try to record two episodes this week? Uh, yeah, if we can. Okay, got it. Okay, sounds good. I got to see if I can come see you before you go. I've got some coffee from Abyss Coffee Company to give you. Nice. Little of the old Calypso blend. I just got it. I just opened up the bag, so I haven't even blended it up yet. Well, I mean, I mean, grind it. I haven't even grinded it up yet. But I have, but I do have some of um, this. Ah, this is the Great Lakes Great Responsibility blend. Oh, nice. Doing my part for cleaning up, helping clean up. The shores of the Great Lakes with every sip. Don't you guys also work on the inland lakes, too? We do. The whole Great Lakes basin, actually. Well, maybe all lakes are pretty great. Let's make all lakes great. Except for the Ohio Great Lakes. (laughs) We voted. Lake Erie got the lowest vote. Wah, wah, wah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Ohio. We love you guys. But yeah, go over to abyscoffeeco.com and put in the offer code TGDP when you order a bag or two. Try a couple of those blends. Let us know what you like. Speaking of Brando. Yeah. Lake Erie. Just heard of a terrible accident over the weekend in Lake Erie. Yeah, I heard uh, I heard that too. Fatality over there. And there was accident up in northern Michigan over the weekend. It was a pretty rough and wild start to spring already for, for the scuba peeps. I have a, an article called The Long Road Back. Back to... Now, this is a long road back from oh. a diving accident. Oh, okay. Now, this guy, Ron Johnson, wrote this article back in the mid-'70s. A personal account of the agonizing recovery from a Ben's victim. You know, and this is... <laughs> so this was published in Skin Diver back in 76. You know, this is back in the day when you had a Ben's hit. It was a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't because you, you missed a couple of, you know, minutes here or there at the tail end of a deco stop. I mean, this was a full-blown yikes. A bolt from 200 feet or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is uh, this was a major hit, like a major paralyzing, you know, bru- one of those brutal stories like you would hear about back in the day, you know? And aren't you always, like, wondering what happened? In the back of your mind? I'm always curious how it happens. I mean... Bends are, like, almost completely preventable. I mean, it's a weird occasion that you you get a what's called an undeserved hit, but most all the time it's uh, doing silly crap. You know, going up too fast. It's just going up too fast is the thing. Right. Well, you, I, mean, you hear, I mean, you hear people get the undeserved hits that do technically everything right, you know, and then they still take a hit. 
but they're generally not like the big paralyzing. Right, those aren't. You know, yeah. right. I, I know that's what, that's what's going system. through your head, right? I mean, right, people right. get like like you know they're back on the boat, they're heading back, they're like, oh shit, this isn't good, something's wrong. Like, yeah, right. Give me some O two, right? Those those do happen. I mean that, and I think that's just the 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 nature of the beast here. diving and like being this physiological beast that we're, we're still trying to figure out. But but the big hits, like the big dramatic. Ben's hits, yeah, I, I would agree. It's it's generally from breaking, breaking some major rules, right? Or yeah, being ill ill equipped, skill set wise, to be performing those dives. Yeah, yeah, struggling to make a three minute safety stop and control your buoyancy, right? And then deciding I'm going to do a dive that gives me 25 minutes of decompression obligation to do. <laughs> Yeah. And thinking like on this next dive it'll be fine. Yeah, it's different now. <laughs> I was down longer, so it's better. It'll be different. The dive is so chaos in eighty feet of water that we always get separated, always get panicked because we don't know where everybody we shoot to the surface. Now we're gonna try a dive to hundred and eighty because hopefully it'll be better down there. What could happen? Yeah, in 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 that respect I, I agree. It it's generally a lack of skill that gets people into trouble and it's a big trouble that they get into now this diver right i mean this is the mid-70s so the the trouble that he gets into although is pretty bad um it's a lot of like not knowing any better back then like like we know today like like there's no way we're gonna make these same mistakes i shouldn't say that (laughs) (laughs) you you uh have a lot of faith there brother because, I mean, there's still people that just decide, ah, you know what? I can do 200. Yes. Well, and, if there I can are... do, and if I can do 200, I can do 250. The self-acclaimed pros out there. A lot of, a lot of them from YouTube University graduates. Well, I watched that, you know, major accident from, you know, 250 feet on that YouTube dive. And as long as I don't do what that guy did... <laughs> That guy was silly. He was a, a dumbass. Right. I got this down. As long as I don't panic and rip my mask off and bolt for the surface, I should be fine. <laughs> this took place on August 26, 1972. Were you even born then? I you, was not. I was an old kid by that day. Now I was alive by the time this article came out. Oh, really? You were right there on the edge. Yeah. He says, my wife... My friend Nigel and I left the wharf with other members of the Auckland Diving Club about 8.30 a.m. Our destination was two impressive rocks called the Pinnacles. They are several miles offshore and rise sheerly out of several hundred feet of water. It is possible to find depths in excess of 200 feet only a boat's length from the rocks. The Pinnacles... And the poor knights as a whole are New Zealand's great underwater showground. Good clear waters, plenty of fish life, black coral at greater depths, and good all-around dive conditions. Nigel. When you said the name was Nigel. You knew this wasn't taking place in, you know, California or something. Go, right? Yeah, right. this was uh, definitely an Australian Australian. 
Aussie, mate. Nigel's big there. Although now Nigel, don't, now don't go know, confusing, you know, Aussies and Kiwis, mate. Oh no, no, no! This is definitely Nigel. Do you know what Nigel means? The name Nigel. I I, I don't know what it means, but I know that we're all just making plans for Nigel. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not good. Nigel is uh, a person, usually a mate. It says who is unpopular with their peers, unfashionable, socially awkward, and or introverted. Why is introverted such a bad thing? For example, he's such a Nigel. Hanging around in the library all day by himself. That's such now, a Nigel thing to do. I don't, I don't get any kind of, uh, he's hanging around the library. It's not that bad. I mean, come on. But they say it's a bad name to give a kid, Nigel. Well, it, it's, uh, that's interesting to hear, you know. Because now, knowing that it's a little bit of like a, a making fun of name. like mm-hmm. now, now the lyrics to that song are, are resonating differently, you know. That one song like, about Nigel. You know, you know, we're we're only making plans for Nigel. We just want what's best for him. <laughs> he just needs a helping hand. You know, it, it's it's. I didn't know that, so I didn't know you were referencing a song. What? Who who sings it? Oh, you know, it's uh, XTC. Remember oh. that that band XTC back in the day? No, <laughs> Nigel, no friends. <laughs> When you type in Nigel, you get Nigel no friends. Hmm. I did it again. Let's get back on track. Let's get all the track. shout out to all the Nigels out there. We apologize, <laughs> Sorry, <for> brother. <laughs> Brando's being a real Karen right now. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I just I was curious about the name because you know I know in my mind I was thinking British, um, but apparently it's more Australian. And it's not like a, a pat on the back name. It's like um, you have no friends. You're unpopular. Of course, it says you're introverted and you hang out in the library, which I don't think that's a bad thing. I was just about over with a bout of the flu that had hung on for about three months. Later, due to blood tests, it was found that I had an extremely high blood cholesterol level and high blood pressure. Physically, I would never have passed an insurance medical. Hmm. Interesting, eh? Well, uh, yeah. Especially back then, the the blood values and whatnot were a little less strict as they are right now. Right. They've only got so more mean, this strict, guy, yeah. Yeah, this guy's already showing up in, in bad shape and coming over the, you know, weeks-long flu. I mean, this, you know, rings true today for a lot of people, you know, post-COVID, you know, yeah. coming out that, you know, really got their asses kicked with uh, with, with getting sick on top of, you know, lingering um, uh, pulmonary effects. Right. You know, with a lot of those early cases. Something to consider, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, as always, you know, make sure you're in good physical condition. But yeah, because I mean, I think that's a lot of where some of the undeserved stuff hands, you know, happens. That's what I would it, say. It, it, yeah. Right? It, it's because it's the the stuff that you can't see microscopically inside your body that just isn't working up to par. Well, I think it also beckons the idea that we don't know everything. Let, let's. Uh, Far from fucking, it, right? Yeah. You know, watch our britches, Buster. We're not that smart. Trust me. Watch Trust your britches, me. Nigel. I know. <laughs> watch your britches. 
Remember when they used to say britches? Does anybody still use britches? Yes. Nigel wore some britches. Nigel and his britches. Now it's uh, it's uh, MC whoever and his bitches. But back then it was Nigel and his britches. He must be happy. He must be happy. He must be happy in this world. Okay, you're quoting lyrics song. of an obscure song. It's not obscure. <laughs> it is. I have to believe it is. I, I'm, I'm looking it up, but I I know you know this plan. So. All right, I'm gonna get back to yeah. Nigel. Come on, let's stay focused. So he says Nigel and I started a slow descent down a deep wall, hoping to sight some grouper. We swam parallel to the face of the reef and then descended to about 180 feet to look at some black coral trees. There were several opportunities to shoot kingfish that were up about 60 or 70 pounds. But I was not tempted, as it was Nigel's first time at this depth. Sorry, I'm distracted with the lyrics from Making Plans for Nigel. Did you find it? Yeah. What is it like uh, supposed to be about Parents making plans for their son and not taking him into account. It's funny that you could even just remember those lyrics. Oh, I, re- I remember the song well from my youth. So you, yeah, XTC. I don't, I don't even know if I've heard of XTC. This is how old I am, man. Colin Molding. Okay. It's an English rock band, XTC, 1979. Dude. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Back to the uh, regularly scheduled program. Sorry. So he's taken Nigel to 180 feet. That, that, that's early 70s, a, a buck 80. A buck 80. So they're going to 180 feet. Does it say, A, the equipment they're using? Anything about that? Oh, yeah, we're going to get there. <laughs> How about any prior experience or training? Uh, Nigel's brand new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what could go wrong here? <laughs> Nigel's brand new. Come on, Nigel. He says, I was sure I had the situation under control and checked Nigel out. He seemed fine, so I pointed out a patch of pure white sand, which seemed, eh, you know, 40 feet or so beneath us. We both had about 1,500 PSI left in our 72. steel 71.2 <laughs> cylinders. You know... Is it really undeserved? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, I mean, this is where we're going, right? Yikes. And but, again, I mean, this was, oh, so... Oh, I, was I just mean, this was say, the thing... Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this delay is killing me. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, if Gareth, if Gareth and Human Factors were to look at this, I mean, where really is the breakdown in the, um, I guess protocol or procedure or the breakdown in this whole accident where where is it stemming from i, I mean, think look, uh picking a buddy named nigel to go down well, well yeah if you look up what his name means but <laughs> before that even i mean this goes back to the, the initial training of both people involved here nigel for not understanding you know the the what's involved and the consequences and, and going so far beyond his training and experience, and with, uh, you know, well, they don't know what they don't know. They definitely right. don't understand. And I think that's what peer gas. pressure will do to you, right? 
Yeah. I mean, Nigel's well, yeah. just like, oh, I'm going with my, uh, yeah, I'm going diving with my experienced buddy, Ron. You know, he's the dive shop pro. You know, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll keep me safe, and we're just going to go do this cool little dive. And then, you know, how easy is it, you know, to, to see, to be on a wall that, that's really bottomless, you know, you know, yeah. that, that just keeps going and going and going. To see something below you that looks like it's right there, but, you know, it looks like it's five feet away, but when you get to it, it's been 40, 50 feet away, you know? Right, right. Well, there and there's like where you just checked out. You, you, and what I mean by that is you are completely unaware of the uh, amount of depth you're traveling. So you checked out conscious-wise or awareness-wise, which is easy to do when you get singularly focused. Especially on air at these extreme And you're depths. narked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, add, add that to it, right? Narked yeah. out on nitrogen and carbon dioxide. And-, and then on top of it, you know, doing, you know, what, what would be called like a trust-me dive where you just, you know, mm-hmm. you go with somebody with more experience and just assume that they're going to take you all the way there and take you all the way home. Yeah, and get you back. Come on. Come on. Come on, on, Nigel. We hit the sand fairly hard, and each breath we took made our air cylinders ring. I did a double take at my depth gauge. It showed 255 feet. 255 feet. 255 feet? 255 feet. He's exceeded the recreational depth limit. <laughs> oh, it gets better because after looking at his gauge, he glanced at Nigel's. His gauge only went to 250. <laughs> so he pegged it. <laughs> and, the, and the pointer read off the end of the scale. <laughs> the pressure gauges showed approximately a thousand psi each oh it's it's yeah it's about 25 uh what about 25 cubic feet of gas or so a thousand and those 72s so yeah you're probably talking 30 cubic feet of gas and and you're at nine atas almost so you're breathing a freaking four cubic feet a minute if you're decent breathing more than that really i mean to shoot up at like navy limits back then you know, 60 feet per minute. Right. I mean, it's going to take you a minute to get up to 200 feet, a minute <laughs> a minute to get up to 140, uh-huh. a minute to get up to, uh, what, 80, 20. You know, let's say you throw in a three-minute safety stop, you know. It's at least five minutes. Uh, uh, well, yeah. of a set, well, and seven, then your safety, seven minute, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, seven, eight minutes. That's if you do your safety stop, but, I mean... Just even ascending, you've got at least five minutes. And you yeah. only have about five minutes of gas down there, six <laughs> minutes of gas, if you sucked it in, into a vacuum. Right. So from that depth, I mean, you're, you, you're going to basically use that whole 25, 30 cubic feet just, just to decide right now, let's get up as fast as <laughs> safely possible. Let's get the fuck out. Let but, alone take one, yeah. one minute to like, think about doing anything. Well, and then you're narked out of your gourd, so you're probably, you know, just hanging out. <laughs> they realized that they were probably not in the best situation. Well, good on them. <laughs> so, so Ron says, we fully inflated our buoyancy compensators. Oh, <laughs> there goes. 
There goes a couple cubic feet. <laughs> and and they barely gave us positive lift. Interesting. We ascended the face of the wall and picked up the anchor rope at about 150 feet, where it draped over the reef. Ascending as slow a rate as possible, we made it to the 10 feet, where we stopped to drain the last few breaths from our tanks. Our total dive time was 18 minutes. (laughs) The funny thing, I shouldn't say funny, but I think this was a pretty common mentality, doing something like this. Back in the day, I know you can still find this shit going on today, but it's not as common as it was, thankfully. All right, so 260 feet with a 15-minute bottom time is is given like you know, over a half an hour of decompression to do on the on a newer set of navy tables. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it myself. 260 for 15 minutes. That's uh, <laughs> that's. There's no way they're freaking making that on a 72. Even if it were a full 72. Uh, right, right. crying right. out loud, I mean, man. I mean, and it's got them um, 40 foot stops, 30 foot stops, 20 foot stops, 10 foot stops. <laughs> and they're bolting right up, right? Exactly. They've got. And, and this is the got stuff that. Seven minutes to the first stop that is required on the table. Seven right. minutes. Now, this is what you're saying earlier. Like, you really got to screw up to, to take a Benz hit. And this, yeah. is what you're, this is exactly what you're meaning. Yeah, you're in, being in a In contrast dumbass. to, like, having a, oh, I, something feels weird. I think I might, you know, yeah. be bent because, you know, I'm dehydrated. There was some know, physiological down in the, issue. Down yeah. in the Cayman Islands or something. or Yeah, or you take some weird oddball hit or, yeah. Exactly. I mean, this, from like any angle you view it, was um, on the opposite side of undeserved. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> yeah. And this is, uh, yeah. I think this is what you call a old <laughs> school grade A fuck up. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think we're going to have listeners that are like, that would never happen to me, or I'd never do that. Or, And the, they may probably be right, but there's a good portion of divers out there that would do this. Well, I, I hope the people that could say that that would never happen to me because they realize I'd never go to 250 feet yeah. on a seventy single 72. With no train. Uh, w- when I was only planning on going to 180, but I saw <laughs> something cool down below me that I thought was only 40 more feet. Turned out it was a little bit further than that. When I was planning to only go to 180. Well, even that, even that statement is kind of crazy. But there's folks out there doing it. He says, upon surfacing, I had rather a tight feeling at the base of my throat. And by the time we had reached the boarding platform, I was feeling nauseous. At this stage, I was sure something was wrong. Was it embolism or the bends? Embolism? You sound like Scooby-Doo when you said that. (laughs) Embolism? (laughs) (laughs) Nigel felt fine. We shed our gear and I had to get my jacket off as I felt like I was choking. The chokes. I mean, this is immediate, right? I mean, yeah. And, and it, so you know it's a major hit. Yeah, this is like uh, taking the, the, the club soda bottle and just cracking, the bo- cracking it open. Like, like this, yeah, this is literally the, uh, 
the the soda pop example in your basic scuba class. Yeah, you just take off the top. What the hell? What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy, like because when you when you talk to people about decompression, it's hey, you made some mistakes. You should watch yourself for a number of hours because the bends is slow to re- you know reveal yeah. itself. This is like I'm at the surface and bam. The symptoms are there. That's how bad it is. I think this is classified under the dumbass bends. You get them for being a dumbass kind of thing. Not to be critical, but this is a dumbass move. This was a dumbass move. I told the skipper to recall all the divers and try to contact Dr. Slark, who was also diving the area. By way of contacting a charter boat near the doctor's boat, we managed a rendezvous. After a quick check over by Dr. Slark, it was confirmed... That I had the bends. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I think that's a no shit Sherlock. <laughs> exactly. That's a, what was it? Uh, elementary, my dear Watson. <laughs> By this time, I needed no convincing as both legs had lost feeling and I could feel the numbness creeping up my body. We transferred to a speedboat and were met by an ambulance within 30 minutes. The decision to drive the 100 miles back to Auckland Naval Base was made immediately, as no one was sure how long it would take to get a chopper into action. During the trip back, I developed a bad cramp in my right shoulder and left elbow. The loss of sensation in my arms was almost complete by the time we reached the Naval Base. A hundred mile trip, man. Yeah, so I mean, half the day has gone by by the time you get there. Well, I shouldn't say that. Several hours have gone by, right? From from the time it occurred, and I mean, the key to most emergencies, and especially something like this, is extremely rapid treatment. Yeah, right. I mean, that's one of the things that you know. We look at when you're when you're talking, you know, decompression and and safety of dives. Right there, there's times where a dive to 200 feet can be a lot less dangerous than a dive to 120 feet. You know, uh, depending on where you're at. You know, if you're in a place where there's a recompression chamber right on the boat, yeah. Versus, you know, you're a Four-hour boat ride and hundred-mile uh, drive. Hundred-mile drive. Right now, just because it's a shallower dive doesn't necessarily mean it's a safer drive. Yeah, but let's couple that with a stupid-ass deep dive. Uh, exactly. Now we not much wisdom used in these decision makings. It's kind of good that an article like this gets published, but at the same time, I'm like, who is doing this? I get it if you have to do a crazy dive like this to save a life, or but you're dropping down to 260 feet on a steel 72 out in nowhere land. Well, this is back in the 70s, man. What were I, mean, every, I, I remember back stupid? in the? I thought they were smarter back then than they are even now. back in the 80s and 90s. You know, I I remember it being, you know, like a little rite of passage for a lot of the club guys would like, hey, you got to be able to, you know, drop on this 200 foot rack on a 72. Yeah. You know, they, they just did it for, like, toughness. It was a, it was a ma- macho a macho thing back in the day. Hmm. So the next day, I was asked to go back in for a series of x-rays. 
blood tests, etc. And into the chamber we went, approximately five and a half hours after the first symptoms. The decision to try the oxygen tables meant a descent to 50 feet on pure oxygen. Observing no change in condition, we took off the oxygen gear and then went down to 165 feet. The decompression lasted 43 hours. The last few hours spent on oxygen. I emerged from the chamber very tired, possibly in a worse condition than when I entered. The next day, he says, I was asked to go back in for another five hours on oxygen. I agreed, but apparently I was susceptible to oxygen poisoning because toward the end of the five hours, I had difficulty in breathing and finally faded away. Someone noticed I had stopped breathing, and the next thing I remembered, I was being revived by a very anxious Dr. Slark. I do not remember the next day or so. So not only is he you know, trying to recover from this Ben's hit, he's toxin out, you know... Well, I mean, oxygen for that long is, is rough news, and it's, he says he he like didn't want to breathe anymore, which makes me think maybe he was smoke a smoker because you reverse your urge to breathe, right? Right. You don't. It doesn't go by CO two; it goes by oxygen. And if your oxygen is through the roof, it, you're you're telling your body, "I don't need to breathe anymore." And you're talking mid seventies, like who, who? Yeah. What? What macho diver wasn't a smoker back in the mid seventies? Well, a smoker and a drinker. I've got all those advertisements. The Marlboro Diving Man. You ever hear of him? Oh yeah. <laughs> the Salem Diving Guy. Salem was Salem a men's? I mean, they had the men's and the women's cigarettes back then. Or cool. Cool must have been for diving. What would if you were smoking back then? What would have been your cigarette of choice? This is one of the questions you'll get asked if you were single going on a blind date. They have a list of questions. This is one of them. As a diver, what's your cigarette of choice? <laughs> I I was always a fan of uh, flippers, flippers, cigarettes. flippers, reds. <laughs> After a week at the Naval Hospital, I was transferred to the Middlemore Hospital to the orthopedic department, where a gentleman introduced himself as a senior member on the staff of the hospital, saying he had come to read my notes. After 20 minutes or so, he stood up and announced that they were pretty sure they would get my arms working, but that I would never walk again. It is at this stage that the press loses interest and you soon fade into obscurity. It is also at this stage that the real story begins. Let anyone who thinks getting bent is rather romantic read carefully from here. Yeah, I mean, I knew guys back in the 90s and even early 2000s and whatnot. And it probably goes on today, but they wear that uh, that. I've been bent badge or I get bent badge pretty, you know, it's like a, a medal of honor kind of thing, like a purple heart. And <laughs> right, right. You're like, well, sorry. Been bent 17 times, <laughs> boy. <laughs> now hand me that 72 and get out of my way. I don't need no BCD. Getting to anchor at 240. Now, doctors came around and poked and prodded to assess how much sensation and motive powers I had left in my limbs. This let everyone know at what level the spinal damage had occurred. 
In my case, a massive nitrogen bubble probably formed in my spinal cord at the lower ribs. The expanding nitrogen bubble acted like a tourniquet in reverse by expanding within the spine and starving the nerves to the lower body of blood, thus killing them, the damage being similar to a broken back, with the exception that nothing was actually cut through. Nope, just bubbles. Just bubbles expanding and crushing and that's kind of what he was saying earlier right where they put him on the normal table yeah but but the bubble was so big that they're like okay we, we got to ditch the o2 because he's that ppo2 you know at six atoms is, is is gonna he can't do that so they had to take him down to 165 to try to crush that bubble so small right and just like basically start all over with that 43 hour ascent yeah, basically, you're treating it like uh, you're coming up from a sat dive. Right. He says, my condition at this stage was that of a quadriplegic. I could use my left arm a little, and if someone put a fork in my hand, I could get the odd morsel of food into my mouth. Most of it would miss the mouth and end up anywhere in the general vicinity of my head. Now, eating and drinking were essential to life, but... What went in had to come out, and this was the most humiliating part because the paralysis also affected all the muscles that controlled the bladder and bowels, and there was nothing I could do to control these functions. Nope. That's a, that's a shitty day. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, that's a day in the life of a quadriplegic right there. Even yeah. paraplegic sometimes, but sad but true, and uh, it's it's no fun for sure. But that's the least of your worries, I think. You know how embarrassed you are because you have no control over your bodily functions. Least of your worries, man. Least of your worries, right? I mean, this is time you just you you suck that one up, and you better be worrying long term. You, you're at best, you know. You if you're optimistic, you're thinking, okay, I can use a wheelchair with my hands. That's what you're being right. Optimistic. Hopefully, yeah, optimistic. Hopefully, we get to that, right? Yeah. He says that the bladder was a relatively simple inconvenience, as they inserted a tube into the bladder and it drained away continuously. This meant I was very susceptible to infections of the urinary tract, so I had to consume large quantities of liquid to continually flush through my system. In my case, it meant drinking ten quarts of fluid a day. After a while. I was prescribed three quarts of beer per day, and that was a pleasant change. <laughs> uh, he says that was a pleasant change. As for the control of the bowels, there was nothing to be done about it. Accidents happen, and I had to live with it. So, yeah, like a couple of days in, they're like, just let him get drunk. Yes. The, he, the poor bastard's miserable. Doctor's orders. <laughs> That's... Uh... This is uh, New Zealand, right? So right. <laughs> you got to give it to him. He says, remember, too, that I was completely paralyzed. I could not sit up, roll over, adjust my pillow or anything without asking for assistance. Quite often, one of the other patients would tell me that one of my legs was hanging off the bed. Because I was unable to move myself, I had to be rolled into a new position every two hours, both day and night. Yeah. And of course, after two weeks of lying in bed, 
Blood clots had formed in my legs due to poor circulation. One night, I woke up with severe chest pains, gasping for breath because the clots had shifted and clogged my lungs. I was rushed into critical care and was put on blood-thinning intravenous drips and oxygen for two weeks. It is true, you can't recall pain, but I know I would never want to go through that stage again. Yeah, scary stuff. Throw, you know, th- throwing pulmonary embolisms due to blood clots in your legs is pretty common in you know, people that are immobile. Of course, AFib people and whatnot, but um, it's uh, bad news. Right, and, and this guy's like the worst of the worst. And it goes like from a relatively, you know, relatively healthy guy, mm-hmm. you know, a week high ago, cholesterol. you know, just, yeah, yeah, to, to <laughs> this, like immediately, like. They're giving uh, the high cholesterol guy beer. <laughs> <laughs> After returning to the regular hospital ward, I met Pat Davis, a physiotherapist to whom I owe very much. She immediately dismissed the verdict about my not walking again and got me working. She would spend a couple of hours a day just exercising my legs and arms. And slowly, after weeks of bed exercising, I could move my legs and arms a little. The left arm in particular had regained quite a lot of strength. The sensation of sharp or blunt, hot or cold was still non-existent in my lower body, but my arms were improving slowly. Then, with Pat's help, I was able to sit on the edge of the bed, and with her support, I learned to stay upright by watching things that were upright, door frames and such, as I had no sensation of falling until past the point of no return. Slowly, over a period of days and weeks, my muscles began to respond. So this is just like a long, arduous, just recovery the journey to recovery right retraining your body to um find other pathways of neurotransmission right exactly yeah. that's yeah. the perfect word yeah he says finally came a day when i could sit upright unaided it was now time to start work in the gym pat and another therapist decided they would teach me to crawl they put down two mats with a mirror at the far end between them They propped me up on my hands and knees, and while one took off my body weight, the other would move one hand forward, then move the opposite leg. This way, we covered the length of the mat, at least 12 feet. And when we finished, I was exhausted. I had to go back to bed to sleep it off. After two to three weeks, I could cover the distance by myself. By watching myself in the mirror, I could tell if I was falling and make corrections. I would tire and fall often, but Pat was always there to bully me on. Man, this this you know reminds me of like a old eighties like after school special <laughs> like movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. In the uh, drill instructor, physical therapist, dude. Right. He says next. They made me heavy plaster casts that covered the back of my legs from the heels to upper thighs. These would be strapped tightly to my legs and I would be wheeled up to a set of parallel bars. Once again, with the mirror at the far end. Eventually, I could walk the length of the parallel bars 
both ways unaided. Then we had to start the same exercises again, only this time without the casts holding my legs. It was like trying to stand on two pieces of soggy spaghetti. From here, we went to crutches, and I could soon shuffle the length of the ward corridors. Interestingly enough, I later met the same doctor who claimed I would never walk again. He said he would still have given the same diagnosis. Yeah, <laughs> he's not getting any uh, sympathy or anything. He's like, you done finished, man. Yeah, I mean, you're getting a little better, but this is a major hit. Yeah, think of it. This is exactly what they say not, you know, not to do. And they don't, I don't think it's even addressed that anyone's going to do anything this crazy. Like, they don't say, hey, go down to, don't go down to 260 feet on a steel 72 and then come back up. Don't do that. They don't say it because it goes without saying. It goes, it, it, you know why it goes without saying? Because if they did say that, they'd go to 300. <laughs> you might be right. That's exactly but I mean, two sixty so it's double the recreational limit. Number one, come on. And and back in the day, you know, I've even got a story. I might have to look this up for next time. You know, uh, somewhere from an old skin diver where they used to say that the 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 seventy two, the steel seventy one point two, was basically scientifically designed size wise because <laughs> you could not get bent using it yes. because you, you could never spend enough time in the water to elicit a bends hit if you were diving a steel 72 because right. you'd get too low on gas right yeah i do remember that kind of talk which is completely you know completely wrong obviously <laughs> i still uh <clears throat> i soon started going to a rehabilitation center every day there with occupational therapies such as woodwork, metalwork, mat weaving, and pottery, I regained all my arm strength. But I was plagued with a very sore back, which only grew worse as I tried to improve it with physical exercise. After 114 days in the hospital, I was released. I bought an automatic car and managed to pass my driving examination. I returned to my old job as the manager of a pro dive store where I managed to shuffle around holding onto counters for support, occasionally collapsing out of sight while talking to a customer. Well, this is the select new selection of fins that we got. <laughs> uh, this one here has a... Oh. <laughs> I, I also don't know what kind of... I mean, what kind of advertisement is that really? Like, here's our here's our lead lead guy, our manager. Uh, he can hardly walk, or <laughs> and he might collapse on you. But come on, we'll teach you how to dive. Welcome oh, how'd to that happen? <laughs> Diving accident. <laughs> Welcome to Bendy's Dive Shop. <laughs> we got uh, we got two for one special on classes this month. Holy moly. It was very embarrassing to ask one of them to come around and help you up. The work left me completely exhausted at the end of the day, and by the end of the week, the back pain made me feel like I was looking through a red haze. I always had a change of clothes with me because I still had a little problem with my bladder. Several times while at work, or even uh, while waiting on a customer or at the workbench, the sound of running water could be heard. And I would have to go off and change clothes. Luckily, most people were understanding. 
Welcome to uh, Leaky's Dive Shop. Uh, we got uh, we got a special on the deep diver class this month. You guys just uh, bust a pipe. Uh, I'll be right back. Now I know. Now I know what you're thinking, Brando. What's that? What am I thinking now? He says, "Uppermost in the mindset of most divers I meet, be they old friends or new chums to the sport, SC is- double hockey sticks." <laughs> if you are paralyzed from the mid-body down, how does it affect your sex life? See? I was right. <laughs> yes, you were. Yes, you were. He says, I try to relate as much to them as I feel is necessary. I think it's something that hits home harder than a lot of divers. Just what they may have be losing if they continue to ignore the warnings about deep diving. What's the point of going on after that? <laughs> He says every Ben's victim's sex life is affected, and the amount of recovery is just as varied as the recovery of the other affected areas. Do you get a special therapist, though? (laughs) That's my question. (laughs) Yes. Fake it. Uh, They bring in. uh, They they bring in cinnamon for that. Put your hands together for cinnamon. Everybody give a big welcome to your new <laughs> physiotherapist, Candy. Candy coming to the stage. At first, my sex life was completely nil. Then, with increased return of motor power and sensation, one's interest in sex begins to take on more importance. It is an interrelated matter of trying to coordinate the body and the mind. Every paralyzed person who suffers the loss of the important bodily function finds their sex life is one of the slowest functions to return to normal. Yeah, I know we're making fun of it, but it's uh, it's no no fun if you're going through it for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely no laughing matter. And right. big apologies out there to anybody who's uh, suffered this horrific malady, but. Um, it's, uh, I think it's it's not laughing, it's not laughing to make fun. Yeah. It's not laughing to make fun. It's, it's, it's just laughing at how, how terrible of a situation it's got to be, man. Yeah. Trying to bring a little bit of light to it, I guess. And and, and he's kind of laughing about it a little bit because he knows it's, it's one of the first questions on everybody's mind. Every active male that goes through a paralyzing event, you know, as soon as their senses come to, it's probably high up on the list of thoughts. Now, just as he's getting better, Brando, he says, my time out of the hospital lasted about 14 months. When, because of stiffness in my legs, I caught my heel coming down the stairs at work and fell head over heels down about 20 stairs. Yikes. Panic. I could not move my legs and my back was on fire. The first fear was that I had broken my back this time. After x-rays and examinations by neurologists, it was decided I had done massive damage to my spinal nerves again. One thing was sure, it was a lot worse this time. Oh, I was hoping he was going to be like, I popped up, I could walk again, great, everything's working. I, well, I wouldn't, I yeah, wouldn't that have been the, I fixed it, wouldn't that have been the miracle? Yeah. I mean, it seems to work with a lot of things. You just like pound on it or bang it or something and then... Uh... It's fixed. The decision was made at a new pain clinic in Auckland Hospital. 
In my case, they injected local anesthetics and steroid drugs into the sore areas of my spine. Though these eased the pain, the treatment was temporary. The follow-up decision was to cut the nerves that were transmitting the pain. So far, I've had three operations and had 14 nerves cut. This is my final attempt at alleviating my pain. I will just have to learn to live with whatever problems I'm left with. Son of a bitch. It's a tough one, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, that, that, that people just... And I would like to say that these days are so far behind that this is just stuff you don't read about anymore. Right. But people go do these crazy-ass dives all the time. And the, the, the crazy thing now is you can get your hands so easily on a set of twin 100s. Yeah. Uh, you can get your hands so easily on a on a rebreather, which you know, like really doesn't prevent you from building a, a a big bottom time. I mean, the one saving grace for the guy is that he could only be down for such a short period of time before he was already down to a thousand psi and knew that they had to get the hell out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine if he spent an additional twenty minutes down there and, and came up the same way? Oh, he would, he wouldn't be alive. I would imagine. I'm sure he was very close to uh, not making it through that dive. Is that the end of the story? No, he okay. leaves us. He leaves us with a little epilogue. Okay, good, good. I was going to say I feel like uh, there's something missing here. So he closes out the article with a final paragraph. He says, so, intrepid diver, if you want to join the ranks of the bent ones, ignore all advice. And continue to go deeper and deeper. But take it from me. It's not worth it. I've been diving since 1958. Sport diving. Commercial diving. A qualified NZUA instructor. And about 12 years in the selling of diving gear. Always thought it could never happen to me. Remember. No one is immune to nitrogen narcosis, and everyone is bendable. I'm 32 years old, and I get around as though I'm 82. Oh, how I would like to turn back the clock. Hard lesson learned there with uh, severe consequences. Yeah, no kidding. But, uh, you know, again, they knew back then how ridiculous it was to do that dive. I mean, it's not like ignorance. They can't claim ignorance on that. Absolutely not. This was a, a result of ego and, and being the, the macho, tough guy. And, hey, I've been diving for, what, what did he say? He was This was 72 that it happened, and he got certified in 58. Right. So he's been diving nearly 15 years. I know what I'm doing. Let's just go do a deep dive. Mm-hmm. Nigel, I'll take you diving, Nigel. I only want what's best for him. <laughs> well, it turns out Nigel really didn't have a lot to do with this this story, but still part of it, I guess. Yeah, well, what what do you say to this, James? What are, what are we supposed to take away from this? Besides, I mean, there's so much obvious, but I think, again, if we looked at like how human factors would, I don't want to say analyze, but kind of go through this incident, you know, instead of blaming him for all the stupid shit he did, what caused his thinking? What was behind him even approaching that dive? Where was the breakdown? Was it in training or is it his own personal ego or both? You no, know, my thing would be it's both because good training is going to go significantly into 
beware of your ego uh, getting you into a very bad place. I would say that that's certainly an early place that it stems is from ego, right? Waking up in the morning knowing that I'm the dive shop pro. I've been diving for 15 years, looking for macho, the, the whole it can't happen to me, it won't happen to me attitude. Let's just go. Let's just go to 250. But, it, but I mean, they did a lot of math back then in a lot of the training. So you would know, they would know right. it, you do a little bit of math that – 10 minutes at 250 feet, you're going to use a whole, a whole 72, right? In 10 minutes. At... Yeah. Well, that's Yo, what let I mean. Alone, let alone the getting down there and the getting home. That's exactly what I mean. This is not an undeserved hit. This is not a, oops, how could we have known? We, we plead ignorance. Um, and I guess, you know, it's not about putting blame, but it is about in order to make sure it doesn't happen to other people, you have to figure out where is this coming from and it, I mean, the deed isn't what we're looking at. It's the motivation to even attempt to do this. Where is that coming from? Is it the community? Is the entire community to blame? Because we, uh, we put this kind of behavior up on a, a pedestal to be romanticized and I don't want to say idolized, but looked up to to a certain degree. I think over the last couple of decades, we've made a big push in the community to not hold this on a pedestal, but yeah. actually be able to do the opposite. Like put people that are doing dives at 250 feet and coming out clean, repeatedly calculated, smart. Like that's been the new pedestal. Well, yeah. Whereas, you know, back in these days, it, you know, it was the ruggedness. I think that's the change that the industry went through is they tried to restrict so much for so long to avoid people seeing this as the cool thing. Yeah, well, that's good. I know friends of mine that wear that I got bent badge. Like, it's a badge of honor. It's the purple heart of diving kind of thing. And it's not. It's like that character, that Seamus fisherman pirate character on Family Guy. You know, this guy, he's got the old sailor guy that's got the, the peg leg, but he's got all peg limbs. <laughs> I've never watched Family Guy, so I have no idea. Or a lot of the old dive clubs, you know, would have that crusty old guy that doesn't really dive anymore. And <laughs> all of his old stories were the, you know, near death, bent, almost killed everybody, made it through, you know, stories, which is why he doesn't dive. He just shows up to the club meetings to, to listen to the new guys. Yeah, but wouldn't you approach that guy like, why is every time you enter the water like a near-death experience? And how many are dead in your wake because of what you're doing, if, if indeed what you're saying is all true? Right. I mean, I, I hear you, man. I mean, I look at that and have looked at those stories for years of, of building a nice, you know, catalog of don't do, you know, chapters. Yeah. I was going to say that we, we talk about um, diving movies and whatnot and uh, even documentaries and how they uh, they spice it up with a near-death experience in it. Whereas when you watch real professional, capable, uh, highly skilled divers work, it's very boring because there's no near-death experiences. There's, there's none of the nonsense that we hear about in like stories like this where they do something completely known to be extremely hazardous for no good reason. There's a time to risk your life, to save a life. I mean, I'm not saying that. Right, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you look at like a really competent diver, 
doing a big dive like this and you were to watch the whole video of the process, it would look like they're like almost like sitting in a, a on a yoga mat meditating. Right. It, it would look more like that than like action diving. Yeah, like what you see in, you know, the James Bond movies or the old, you know, coming at you with knives and people panicking and dying. It, it's very, very... um it's boring, <laughs> to say the least. That's why my kids run when I say I've got dive movies. Who wants to watch dive movies? They're very boring. It's just us swimming effortlessly across the bottom or in midwater, whatever. It's very boring, and I get it. It's boring to them. I think, in a, I think what I want to do in my house is put up, like, big screen TVs all over the place and constantly play my videos of diving on a loop. Everywhere you go, it's just people swimming underwater. That'll that'll keep uh, the, everybody out of the house. You know? <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> no, except for your dive buds, all come over. I know everybody be walking, walking around, watching these movies. But I still get a kick out of most. Which of is good. Movies. Which is yeah. that's actually good because that'll give you the freedom to be able to uh, you know do your manscaping. Oh yeah, at any time. Because I do want that free. I just want to be like, when I realize I have to get the manscaping done, I just want to be able to do it like immediately. I don't want to have to worry about people being in, in my living room while I exactly. need to so do. you throw on some dive movies. <laughs> everybody leaves. Then you got the freedom. You could just strip down. You know, last thing you would take off would be your manscaped boxers, which are pretty awesome boxers. I just myself actually ordered i had to test out our t uh tgdp code the other day and actually got a new set of the anti-chafing boxers and a couple of the you just you lay down your magic mat the you know the little shaving mat it looks like a you know a piece of newspaper and trim away with your lawnmower 4.0 i'm i'm uh, I, that's how i do it that's how james rolls so, yeah, people, get out there and uh, go to manscaped.com, put in the code TGDP. Remember, Brando, 20% off. And? And what could be more? How could you add on to 20% off? I'm, that's crazy. And free shipping. How are they making money? They're doing it by putting out good products. And uh, don't forget to order yours, people. TGDP code at the checkout, 20% off, free shipping. Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. <laughs> All right, Brando. Well, hey, that was a very agonizing, long road back personal account of old Ron Johnson's recovery of the Benz. Man, that was that's a brutal story, man. You you don't hear like full account stories like that very often anymore of, of something that horrific. Yeah, well, you kind of hope they're not doing blatant violations of pretty much everything taught in open water 101 to that degree right but i guess it's still happening and even if it isn't still happening there are lessons to be learned from from that story right yeah absolutely so all right people well what are the lessons you learned out there do you have any personal accounts of agonizing recovery of uh bend victim hits like old ron johnson let us know shoot us a message and um if there's any Nigels out there listening, hey. Don't don't worry about that name. 
the inter- it's the internet. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. We we like you, and, yes. and you can be dive buddies with us anytime. And every Nigel I've ever known has been a pretty good guy, a pretty good bloke, mate. <laughs> All right, let's sign these logbooks. Okay, old Bendy. I still am amazed you remembering the lyrics to that song from, uh, what year was that song? I, I think it came out in the late 70s, early 80s, but I, I just remember growing up... Uh, it was on MTV. It was on 89X. It was, I remember that song. Oh, I didn't really listen to 89X. You, you were already classic rock, man. I was Riff. I was WRF back you, then. You, you and were. And then went to you, WCSX. You yeah. born. You were born a classic rocker. I was born a classic rocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Let's uh, let's talk with you again next week. Same bottom time. Same decompression schedule. There we go. Okay. What?